Uh, it's very exciting to be able to uh, come back home from college, uh, especially right before I transition to a new point of life, as uh, Pastor Crawford mentioned. Uh, I am going to be married in August, uh, August 2nd, so that's coming up pretty quick, and I'm realizing very quickly how little I am prepared for some of the moving things and things like that, but uh, I'm very excited for the next uh, step of transition, but I'm very grateful uh, all the same for my church family that I've been able to have here, um, that I've been able to continue to uh, learn and love and grow and be mentored by and be supported by. Uh, one of the things that we're going to be talking about in our passage tonight is uh, some of the things that happen in a church family, some of the things that happen in a church. Uh, if you want to go ahead and turn to the, uh, the letter 2 Corinthians chapter 12, that's where we'll be tonight. Uh, and while you do that, I want to go ahead and tell you a story. Uh, this is a story uh, from my youth, which some of you may laugh at, uh, from my younger youth. Uh, I was about probably first grade. I was at, a, I was at a, a Christian school. I was attending. It was a school day, and there were a few rules that you don't mess up. You don't talk in the hallways. You don't talk in the bathroom, and you definitely don't make messes anywhere. Uh, that was not exactly my philosophy, nor was it one of my best friends. Uh, one time, we uh, went out to the restroom. We, we went to go wash our hands after we had recess, and our intention was to goof off as much as possible without getting caught. Uh, we went inside of the restroom, and we started washing our hands, and we started talking. Shouldn't do that. Started joking. We weren't supposed to do that. And then we started to scoop water out of the sink and start splashing each other, and we just started making a mess all over the place and having a fun time. Uh, and, and then I looked at my friend, and he just, sheet white, stopped moving, started looking around, and then looked at me dead in the eye and said, Daniel, I need you to step on my foot. I said, I, okay, you know, if your friend says step on his foot, I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? So I stomped on his foot, and the second I did that behind me, that I did not know about, but he did, my principal came in. He walked in, my friend had heard him coming, and he's like, how do I recover from this mess? How do I make this look good? He said, stomp on my foot, and I did. And he looks at me, and he goes, Daniel, I, I can't believe you stomped on my foot and made this big mess. And in that moment, I realized what I believe is for the first time what it meant to be betrayed. I was backstabbed. I also think it's very important to mention that was not here, so that wasn't Pastor Crawford or anyone here. That was at a different church, different school. But in that moment, I realized, oh no, this person that I put my trust, this person, my partner in crime, this person I had valued so much as a friend, betrayed me. And that hurt. And did I get what I deserved? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but the reality is, I was still hurt. I was betrayed. Now, betrayal is something that Paul is going through when he is giving this letter to the Corinthians. Uh, he, he actually started this church, and we see that in Acts chapter 18. Paul is one of the founders of this church. He was the one who brought the gospel to them and led them uh, into their formation of this body of Christ. And as he does, he begins to love them and pour into them and put all of his time and energy and effort into them and starts to display true love and guidance. But after he leaves, things start to go wrong. Uh, the Corinthians is actually uh, the, the place he spent second most of his time. He spent a lot of time in Ephesus, but just under that was Corinthians. So he had some pretty good roots there. He, he had a lot of good relationships there. He put a lot of love into it. And then he hears from one of his messengers that things aren't going great. Things aren't going as they should. 
And so he writes 1 Corinthians to them and says, hey guys, I've heard some things that aren't great. <laughs> hey guys, I've heard some things that maybe need to get a little bit of correction. And he writes this to them with hopes that they will change. And instead, his authority is attacked. The people that he has loved and poured into are now starting to change because there are other people. In some translations, uh, these false apostles are called super apostles. These people are spreading words to doubt Paul's authority, to doubt Paul's apostleship. They are doubting him because Paul is some lower class man, low, low working man. He's not very well spoken and he does not have what we have and that is these holy experiences. And so they say, look at us, we are well spoken, we are financially well, we are having these experiences, these supernatural experiences with God and you don't need to listen to this guy anymore. He doesn't have the authority to do so. Now, Paul, at this point, is feeling hurt. He's feeling broken. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, we have words that, that although God is opening doors for, for uh, opportunities for the spread of the gospel, he is broken to the point where he, he can't even react. He's broken. He's, he's depressed. He, he's hit this point where he is fundamentally hurt. I think it's right to say that the, some of the, the hardest hurt that we are going to deal with in our lives comes from our friends comes from people that we love, comes from people that we trust, that we expect will be our safe haven. And Paul right now is struggling because the people that he loves are failing him and hurting him. And so he starts to begin his letter, and he gets to, to chapter 12, establishing basically his credentials. He starts talking and, and saying, we're, we're good. I need you to trust me. I need you to trust me. This is why. And now we get to chapter 12 where he says, this is what is going on. This is the pain that you are seeing. These are the lies that you're being told. And he starts to establish his authority, his apostleship. Chapter 12, verse 1 says, It is not expedient for me, doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body, I can't tell, or whether out of the body, I, I can't tell. God knoweth. Such one that was caught up to the third heaven, and I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which are not lawful for man to utter. Of such a one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think above me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Let's open in uh, prayer tonight. Father, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful for the reality of your power, the reality of your truth, and the reality of, of, of the experiences you give us. Uh, the, the moments where we can look to you and say, we saw your hand at work. The clear moments in all of our lives where we, we, can, we can in confidence say that you were clearly at work for us. We're so grateful for those moments. But Father, I pray tonight that you would help us as we start to examine uh, the hurt that can come in our lives. Examine the, the ways that we, we can be distracted and, and brought down by the pain that seems to be stronger than anything else. I pray that your truth, your word, would be a reminder of how we can love you through those times. In Jesus' name, amen. 
This is a passage I'm sure you're familiar with. I know I give a lot of context, and uh, about half of this sermon is actually going to be contextualizing the reality of the portion of the text I'm sure we've heard a lot, the thorn in the flesh. Paul is dealing with a thorn in the flesh. I've actually uh, titled this sermon, The Goodness of the Thorn. Uh, I know that doesn't really sound uh, uh, right. It kind of sounds like a, a paradox. It doesn't sound like something that should be. The goodness of the thorn, the goodness of the pain. But uh, the reality is that we're going to see in Paul's example here that there is purpose in the thorn. There is purpose in this inconvenience. Now, as, as we kind of talked about a little bit, Paul, Paul is being challenged by these, these super apostles who are saying our way is the best because we're having all these heavenly experiences. And Paul has been pretty silent on this matter. And now he's finally breaking out and saying, you know what, this is what's going to happen. I don't want to talk about this kind of stuff. I, I don't think it is profitable because it is not checkable. There, there's no one else there to verify it. But because this is what I have to do, I will. I will tell you about an event. He says that it's not expedient for me uh, doubtless to glory. He says, it's not going to help anybody for me to brag, but I'm going to tell you what the Lord did. I'm going to tell you what the Lord did. And in his humility, these next three verses we see in verses two through four, he conceals the identity of this one who gets to see paradise. Uh, though if we look at the verbiage and as it unfolds, we understand that this is actually Paul himself. Uh, Paul is trying to conceal, making sure all the glory is staying off of him and going straight to God because that is how these experiences should be uh, seen, should be viewed. He starts saying, I knew a man, speaking in the third person, there was one who went to see the third heaven. Now, this isn't saying that there are, uh, there's a tier system uh, that we get to understand. He's like, man, I went to heaven level seven. It was awesome. That's not what he's trying to refer to. He's talking about the reality of, of the perception that there was in this time, that the first heaven was kind of the, the sky. That was the blue sky where the clouds are. Uh, and then the second heaven goes a little bit past the atmosphere, and that's where the stars are. And the third heaven, that's God's realm. That's where God reigns. And he's saying, I had a vision. I went to heaven. That's pretty good. <laughs> that's, a, that's like the trump card, man. If someone was telling me, yeah, well, guess what? I saw 10 minutes into the future, and th this great thing was happening. I'm like, yeah, I, I got a private tour of heaven. So I'd say, I'd say that one probably wins the debate if we were going to run them against each other. But that's not what Paul's interested in. Paul's not, Paul's not here battling one against one. Paul is talking about how we should view these experiences. He continues and says uh, in, in, in uh, verse uh, 2, actually, and then repeats it in verse 3, whether in the body, I cannot tell, or whether out of the body, I cannot tell. And he finishes both of those thoughts in verse 2 and 3 by saying, God knoweth. It's not about me. It's not about what I know. It's not about what anyone, anyone says. It's not to puff up pride. It is strictly an experience that God has given. God is the, God is the, God is the subject of this action. He's not the object. He, he's not a prop in my story of what I have experienced. He is the giver of an experience that we get to understand why. And then Paul starts to break down a little bit more. He says how he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for man to utter. That just sounds cool. That sounds so cool. Being able to experience something in heaven with, with words, with spoken tongue, something told to you that you cannot repeat, that sounds exciting. And Paul knows that. And there's probably a reason Paul hasn't said anything about this for 14 years. This is, not, this is not what is important to the body of Christ. This is not what is important to his credentials. This is not what is important to unity or important to living for Christ. It's not important that he says, by the way, guys, I did something 14 years ago. I saw this really cool thing, and I can't tell you about it. That's not really going to work. He's not playing the same game as these super apostles who are trying to, to put themselves above everyone because of their holy experiences. He's saying, 
I experienced this. I, I can't tell you what happened. They, it's not lawful for me to speak of it. It happened about 14 years ago. And I don't say that because it's anything about me. God knows what it was for. God knows why it happened. I'm reluctant, reluctant to even tell you. But I need to tell you so you understand that these experiences are real. These experiences mean something. But they are not for vanity. He finishes this whole, this whole uh, uh, story of his, his uh, revelation by saying, Of such a one I will glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. I'm not, I'm not going to go out and, and, and boast and, and be proud and be excited and, 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 and tell all these whimsical tales about these revelations or experiences. The things that I will boast in, the things that I will make myself proud, the things that I will establish in myself, the things that I will tell all is my weaknesses. Those are the things that matter most. And we, we don't really understand why until we get later in this verse, but he's actually echoing something that is actually mentioned uh, earlier in the book. In fact, it's, it's not too far off, I believe. If we look in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, if you'll turn there with me, he says this in verse number 30. He says, If I must needs glory, I will glory in the things which concern mine infirmities. He says, I will glory in my weaknesses. I will glory in my hardship. I will, I will take all of my hardship I can. I will focus on it. I will understand it so that I can grow. And that's something that we don't really understand just yet in this passage. But as we continue to understand, we understand that Paul's priority is no longer fixated uh, as it once was back in the day when he was known as the zealous persecutor. It is not about titles. It is not about self. It is about God. And that is why he is hurt. He is hurt because they have taken their eyes, not just off of him, but off of God. They, they would be what we would classify as, as the uh, New Testament charismatic movement. They are pursuing these experiences above God. I'm not sure if any of you have heard of a book. If you have, just raise your hand. Uh, the Boy Who Came Back from Heaven. Have you guys heard of that book? Okay, one or two of you. Uh, there, was a, there was a boy about four or five years old. Uh, who was in a, in a terrible accident. Uh, and, and when he was uh, uh, healed, when he was pulled out of that, he was uh, quadriplegic. Uh, and he started telling people that he died and he went to heaven. That was the story he wanted to tell. And, and people started to take this everywhere. They started to go, what, this is incredible. We need to publish this. We need to put this as many places as we can. And later it came out, this young man, uh, Alex Malarkey, started telling them, no, I lied. I'm sorry. I lied. That, that, that wasn't right of me to do. I wanted attention, and I used this, and because of it, people found peace in my fictional story that they could have found in God's Word. Now, I don't say that to disprove every single story and every single person has to tell. In fact, we don't know very much about some of the, the things God will reveal to some people. The answer isn't to blindly accept. The answer isn't to blindly reject. But the reality is, as Alex, Alex Malarkey said in his confession uh, that he wrote, I hadn't read the Bible, and I know that that is where truth comes from. That is where comfort comes from. That is where knowledge of Christ comes from. And so Paul is hurt because they are looking for God everywhere but where they should. And so that, that, that sets us up. That puts the ball on the tee for what's going to happen in the rest of this passage. And this is, this is where we're going to start examining what's going on in Paul's life, the life of a man who is hurt, who is rejected, who is having to reveal things that he didn't think he would just to put God back front and center. And this is where we begin 
our look. Uh, once again, in verse 5, he establishes it, but then if we, if we continue, we'll start to look at what he has to say in verse 7. It's at this point that he says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, lest I become prideful because of what God has shown me, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. What he says is, to ensure that this grand vision does not put pride on me, I was given a thorn in the flesh. Now, that's an expression here. That's not something uh, literal. We didn't have the story of Paul and the splinter. We had the story of Paul experiencing a hardship that he refers to as a messenger of Satan to buffet him. The word here used for uh, buffet is the same word that we see used in the gospel accounts where the, the, the soldiers would punch and, and hurt Christ. There was a messenger of Satan sent to hurt him. To, to punch him, to knock him down, to bruise him, to break him, to bring him lower than he already was. And this letter, he's already established, I'm, I was broken, man. I couldn't do it. God opened doors for witness. God opened doors for the gospel, and I was too broken to do it because of this hurt that I have. Later on in this, in this uh, letter, he, he writes, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to even go back. I'm hesitant to even go back and visit because I know that there will be anguish. I will be broken by what I see. His fear is, is of immorality. His fear is of, 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 of perversion of what God has intended for his people. And he does not want to see that because these are people he loved. He is broken to this point. And he says, because of this, this grand vision, as, as I think about it, as I think of, of these false teachers being put on these pedestals because of their experience, and I think, I think of my experience, I think of what I've been through, I think of the goodness of God to show me some things, I, I was removed from a place of pride. Because God allowed a thorn in the flesh. Now, this is where we start to see the reality of this thorn. There is purpose in it. Our, our, our hurts are not all the same. Our hurts are not always going to, to fit a neat little category. Our hurts are different in intensity. Our hurts are different in power. Our hurts are different in lasting. Our hurts are different in where they come from. But the reality is that our hurts are there for a reason. Some of them... <laughs> Most of them, we bring on ourselves. I cause most of my thorns. I know that. <laughs> I cause most of the things that give me hurt. I cause most of the things that bring me pain. But our God is good enough, and our God is loving enough to give every one of those hurts a purpose. Every one of those hurts a reason. Every single one of those hurts an ability to teach us so that we may grow. And what we see is that there is purpose in the thorn. To ensure Paul's humility, he was given a thorn in the flesh. Now, this was for his own good. This, this was to help him. I believe Spurgeon said it. He said, uh, he said, the best weapon Satan has is to act as our guardian angel, protect us from all hurt, protect us from all, from all uh, damage to our ego, all damage to our pride, all damage to our body, so that we can continue to puff ourselves up, to continue to, to grow in our own self-enticed uh, world. He says that we're given thorns for a reason. That this reason is good. And just because this reason is good doesn't mean it hurts. Remember, let's take a look at what we see in verse 8. Paul says, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. Paul didn't like it. It wasn't cool. Hurt's never fun. And yet he says, I will glory in my weakness. What does that mean? 
Let's take a look. Let's see what Paul's pain tolerance is. I think we see that in the previous chapter as well. 11 verse 20, uh, 24. He says, Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. Night and a day I have been in the deep in journeyings, often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. He starts to say, you know what? (laughs) I have been hurt too. But this that was sent by God, this that God allowed to, to come to me, this messenger of Satan, it's a lot. It was there to bruise me. It was there to break me. That is what Satan intended. The word there, uh, messenger, is the Greek word uh, angelos. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I have two years of Greek, which my teacher says is just enough to start a cult. So I hope I'm saying that right. That word is always used in reference to a person. It means messenger. It says this messenger, this, this person was sent by Satan. I would say that we're probably looking at an angel of Satan, which we know is a demon. I'd say that this thorn of the flesh came, came in the form of, 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 of a harassment, of a, of a persecution. We also hear accounts of uh, others throughout uh, the years. I think the earliest account of, of theorization on what this thorn could be is a headache. <laughs> headaches are pretty bad. I, I, I think I've prayed to make headaches go away before, too. There's other people saying it could be diseases, it could be, uh, it could be harassment of people around him, it could be uh, diseases such as malaria, it could be anything. There could be any number of what this could be. But I believe we are looking at uh, an, an attack that was meant to shake him down to his spirit. And that is why Paul is calling out, God, remove it from me. Remove it from me. He says, I called out to the Lord thrice. And yet we know that there is purpose in this thorn. But knowing that there's purpose doesn't exactly make the hurt go away. I think, uh, I think of the times where I had to get spanked by my parents, and I would hear them say, I do this because I love you. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, okay, no, that's cool then. Do it. Let's go. Like, that, that's not how my mind works. That's not how anyone's mind works. Say, I do this because I love you. And we say, are you sure? <laughs> I know some better things you could do if you love me. Here's my Christmas list. And yet, he's getting exactly what he needs for God's purposes. He is given this opportunity to grow in his humility. That is God's purpose in this thorn. And Paul, as he's facing this, does exactly what he has given us a directive to do in Philippians chapter 4, which is not the only time we'll look at this passage tonight. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, he says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. He goes to God with this, which, if I'm being honest, that's better than I usually do. I start with my own might, and then I start with the people around me. And then after I've asked everybody else's input, I say, okay, God, what do you think? Paul went straight to the source, and he says, Father, I want this away. Please let this go away from me. And he asked and, and saw nothing. He said, Father, please remove this from my life, and nothing happened again. And so he said last time, Father, please remove this from my life. And we get the answer of of God, which is not the answer we would expect. Not the answer that we, if we were Paul, though we often find ourselves in similar points of hurt, would ask ourselves. Jesus answers and says, this is going to be in uh, in, uh, verse, uh, verse number nine, he says, 
My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. That is our Lord's response to the cry of a man who is broken, to a man who is hurting, to a man who is, who is trying to serve. My grace is sufficient for thee. So, uh, me, if I were listening to that, I would, I would see those words coming in, and I'd go, okay, so no. <laughs> That's what I would see. That's where my eyes would go to. I'm like, all right, there's no yes in there. There's no promise of coming deliverance. That's just a no. And then I'd give up. I, I would forget. I would ignore. And that is the mindset of a, of, a, of a failing Christian. That is the mindset of someone who's looking for ease, which we are promised by our Savior, is not the life we signed up for. That is not the life we agreed to by accepting our God's gracious gift. We agreed to a life of pain. We agreed to a life of, of service. But we also agreed to a life of growth and fulfillment. And that is what Christ is trying to get Paul to see. And he says, my grace is sufficient for thee. What does that mean? What, what does that mean for us? What, <laughs> what does that mean for Paul? I'm not one to accept riddles for answers often, but if I, were, if I were Paul, three times calling on the Lord and getting the answer, my grace is enough for thee. I'd be like, okay, can I get a timeline? What, what's the plan? What are we doing? And God says to him, my grace is enough. There is power in this answer. It, 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 it kind of highlights there's two ways that we can bear a burden. There's two ways. When the burden is too big, we've got two options. We can either remove the burden or we can strengthen ourselves. We can become strengthened enough to bear it ourselves through power and we rarely seek the latter. We always ask God to remove this when God is trying to do something from it. God is trying to build us. God is trying to establish something in us. He's trying to develop leaders. He's trying to develop growth. He wants Christian maturity and we often say, ooh, this was not that fun. He says, my grace is sufficient. He's saying, Paul, look at how insufficient you are. Paul, look, look at what you've done. You've called on to me three times, and I've heard you, but look at your life. Look at, look at what you are doing in yourself. This isn't something you can best. We are, we, are, we are seeing our sufficiency in God at its most when we see our sufficiency in self at its least. Only when we realize that I am not enough will I think that God is. He says, my grace is is enough. Paul knows that God's the only one that can take this away, and God's the only one that can prepare him to take this, so God establishes and once again reminds him of grace. There are a few theological terms mentioned in the New Testament more than grace. Grace is powerful. We know that that is, that is the source. Uh, that, is, that, is, that is the source of all the good things that God has done for us, beginning with salvation. That is, that is his source, his special grace that he's given to us, that we may know him but that's not it. If we just limited grace to, to the point of the salvation, then, then, then we're missing out. Because he says that his grace is enough for us now. Is. Is. <laughs> is. His grace is continually enough for the battles we face, for the, the trials we go against, for, for the hurt that seems unbearable. His grace is enough. His grace is, has been defined some ways. I'm sure we've all heard it as uh, unmerited favor. That's one way to say it. Unmerited favor towards us. His love towards us. His, his, his gift to us that we will never be able to earn. And he says that this gift that he will give to us, that we will never be able to earn, is all that we will need. He says, my grace is good enough. 
to give you strength. One of the things that makes this grace so good is that it is always available. There's no, there's no limited reserve that we get. We don't go to salvation boot camp and he hands us a canteen of grace and says, use it carefully, that's all you got. He continues to supply, he continues to give, he continues to support. And so, as we continue in our lives, we see the value of what he has given and the purpose for this thorn. And understand the reality of our sufficiency in Christ. What is the verse we hear out of context so much? I can do all things through Christ who what? Strengthens me. His grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in weakness. My strength is made complete in weakness. Man. What has Paul said? I will glory in my infirmities and my weakness. That's why. I will glory when God's strength is made complete, when God's strength is made perfect. I will glory when the strength of my Savior is brought to the front. I will glory when all can see my struggle, see my pain, see my thorns, see this thing that is taking me, see this thing that is hurting me, and see me endure it, not for my own sake. No. For the sake of my God, whose grace is sufficient. And so we see uh, more of the kind of the paradoxes we see from uh, Christ, uh, from Paul, where they, where they make mentions of opposites, where, where the poor shall inherit the most, where, where the meek will be, will be among the, the first, the first shall be last, the last shall be first. And he says, the weak see strength completed. This, the weak see strength fulfilled. And last thing that we see out of Paul is, is his response. There's a purpose in the thorn, there's a giver of the thorn, and now we know that there is a proper response to the thorn. A little bit of recap, Paul is told no. <laughs> that is what Paul is told. And that is what I would see. I would see big aerial font, no. And Paul sees a God who is good. Verse 9 continues and says, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me, that my life could be made an example, that, that my story is not about me, but about God, that these experiences I have not be, not be dwelt on me, but about God. I mean, think about it. If someone's going to advertise their stand-up routine about all the miracles they've done, that they've, that they've seen, I'm, I'm probably going to go to Paul's. His sounds pretty cool. It's like, these are the whippings, these are the stonings, these are the shipwrecks. Does anyone have a snake? I want to show you something really cool. Like that, that's, that's, that's how he could do it. He survived so much. God has done so much through him. And yet he says, I'm going to glory in the weaknesses because that's where my God shows his power to us all. And so as he writes this, he, he's, he's not looking for attention from them. He's not writing this to start their conspiracy theories of, of what this miraculous visit to heaven could have been like. Ooh, what is this third heaven that he encountered? All he's writing is to say, listen, there are experiences, sure. But I'm going to rejoice in my weakness. I'm going to rejoice in the things that break me. Because they bring me to a point where I have to accept God's sufficiency. And I don't know the reality of the hurts in this room. But I'm not dumb enough to think there aren't some. We don't have 
the pleasure always of what Paul did where he knows what the purpose of his, uh, his infirmities are. We don't have the, the, the pleasure of knowing why it hurts or what the hurt is building up to or how it's going to move us forward, but we know one thing, and that is that our God has grace that is sufficient, that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And so tonight, our prayer must be kept uh, close to our hearts. We must uh, be eager to search for the grace that strengthens us because without the grace that God gives, we will be faulty, we will be broken, and we will fail. And our Lord has given us a response through this servant Paul, one that doesn't seek pride or attention, but one that searches to know the Father's will so that he may better enact it. Our pain is not forgotten by God, but allowed by him so that he can use it to grow us in knowledge and experience of his hand at work and also and the love that he has for us so that we can better learn the most important attribute of our lives, humility, and serve him better. That is the purpose. So when we, when we meet our struggles, when we meet our pains, when we meet our hurt, though they aren't all sent of Satan, though they aren't all, aren't all uh, sent from our own actions, we can remember that our God has grace that is sufficient and his strength will be made perfect in our weakness. Father, we're grateful for the truth of your word, the truth that you've given us of this servant Paul, of his hurt, of, of his love for you, and how you are good enough to equip us. You are good enough to strengthen us so that we may be better fit, better used, better purposed for your work. Father, I ask that that be the heart of all in this room, that we may continue to serve you, continue to encourage, and continue to love you. We love you, Father, and we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.